from the heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition... Now, I noticed yesterday we were assured that you would not be attacked on the basis of your faith. I noticed that didn't last 24 hours. That was Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, a member of the committee, calling out the semi-veiled attacks on Judge Amy Coney Barrett's Christian faith during the second day of her confirmation hearing. Beyond the attacks on her faith and association with others, it was once again very evident the left's view of the court. They see it as the vanguard of their liberal policies that they can't get past the people. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton joins us in just a moment with more on today's hearing. Since it was publicly released uh, eight days ago, the Great Barrington Declaration has now been signed by almost 35,000 scientists and medical practitioners. What does the declaration say, and why was it written? One of the authors of the declaration, Dr. J. Bhattacharya, he is a professor of medicine at Stanford University, joins us here on Washington Watch with the answer. Also, the media has pretty much moved on, and the rioters appear glad as they attacked anyone who recorded their day of rage in Portland on Sunday. Organizers use social media to promote the event as Indigenous People's Day of Rage. The rioters toppled statues of former presidents Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln before smashing windows of businesses along a seven-block path. We'll be joined by one of those business owners, an African-American military veteran, John Jackson, who owns American Heroes Cafe in Portland, Oregon. And we really can't talk about the lawlessness in the streets without discussing the effort to close down or restrict the ability of churches to meet and to minister. You say, well, what's the connection? Well, one of the pastors who joined us for Freedom Sunday was a Romanian-born pastor, Christian Ionescu, he's in Chicago. Pastor Ionescu has a warning for Christians in America. I'll share it later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it's at T Perkins. And let me uh, once again ask you to take the challenge. This election is so critical. You need to be praying. You, knew, you need to commit to vote. And you need to stand in the face of this cancel culture and speak truth. Take the challenge. Text me the word vote to 53445. That number, 53445, the word vote to take the challenge to pray, vote, and stand. All right, day two of Judge Barrett's confirmation hearing. One vote away from the Second Amendment being erased from the Bill of Rights. None of our Democratic colleagues admit that that is their agenda, and yet those are the justices that Democratic presidential nominees are promising they will appoint. Justices who will take away your right to criticize politicians. Justices who will allow censorship. Justices who will allow movies and books to be banned. Justices who will erase the Second Amendment from the Bill of Rights. And how about religious liberty? Religious liberty is an issue near and dear to a great many of us. The right of every American to live according to your faith, according to your conscience, whatever that faith may, may be. That was Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, another member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. The attacks on Judge Barrett's faith were subtle, but nonetheless present, as Democratic members of the Judiciary Committee asked various questions about her associations with church and religious groups and even our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. Let me talk about some of the positions you have taken. Before you became a judge, you were paid by the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, for five lectures. 
you gave them an originalism at the Blackstone Legal Fellowship. Now, I recall some being asked about some of their uh, controversies. Were you aware of ADF's decades-long efforts to recriminalize homosexuality? Joining me now to talk about the second day of Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing and what we can expect in the remainder of this confirmation process, U.S. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tony. It's good to be on with you. So anything different today? Any surprises in what we have uh, seen today in the Senate Judiciary Committee? Well, you know, Tony, yesterday we heard senators giving long-winded speeches, and today, even though it's supposed to be questioning Judge Barrett, we've had a lot of long-winded speeches from some senators. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think your uh, opening report was correct. Uh, the Democrats may not be openly uh, criticizing the judge for her faith, but it's only thin veiled acts you know, criticizing her for sending a pump letter as she and her husband left church more than a decade ago that simply affirmed the sanctity of human life or implying that uh, her faith will prevent her from ruling an impartial fashion uh, on critical questions, whether it's a book or religious freedom, or even implying that because they owned a gun that she shouldn't be able to rule on Again, The Democrats have made it plain from the very beginning that they uh, hold her in very low regard because of her deep faith and her original judicial philosophy. Fortunately, they don't have the votes to stop her from justice court. Yeah, I think it's very evident that they don't have the votes, and I think that's why these are just kind of uh, kind of these flanking attacks on on her faith. But I think Senator Holly was right to call it out. What I what I think is evident here is that they're trying to damage the Republicans with the American public by tying this to the Obamacare case that is coming before the Supreme Court. I mean, every one of them is telling some story, a personalized story, which, you know, look, our country's filled with people who are challenged with problems, and health care is a lot of them. But they're trying to make this, I think, about the Obamacare and this coming before the court, trying to scare the American people and do damage, I think, going into these elections with Republicans. And they're going on and on about health care as if this was a campaign commercial, Tony, or perhaps a debate on the Senate floor about a health care bill. The Supreme Court has not set health care policy in this country. The Congress does. And the Congress made a mess of it with Obamacare years ago. Or so they were the consequences of that mess. I still hear Americans who not afford their insurance because Obamacare made it unaffordable until uh, the Congress you know, acting on legislation to repeal the individual mandate. We had thousands of Americans who were paying a penalty to the federal government for not being able to afford insurance. Obamacare made it unaffordable. And the Democrats continue to highlight Americans with pre-existing conditions, so implying a single justice, this woman is rip away health care from all those Americans, which couldn't be further from the truth. Again, not only does the Supreme Court not make health care policy in this country, but the Republicans in the Congress have repeatedly put forward measures that would protect coverage for those with preexisting conditions while making it afford- more affordable for everyone. The entire debate you see about health care at this committee hearing is simply a diversion from the fact that the Democrats don't want to talk about the Constitution 
and judicial philosophies with this highly capable, highly skilled jurist. I, I think you're absolutely right, Senator Cotton, and I think it's revealing of how the left sees the court. Uh, the left sees the court as their means of passing or imposing their liberal policy ideas on America. I mean, Roe v. Wade, uh, Obergefell, uh, even, you know, as we're, we're looking at the reason they're looking to the court is because they know that Obamacare was on constitutionally shaky ground. But they have to have the court or else most the, the vast majority of their policy would never be enacted. Yeah, I think one of the reasons you've seen uh, such emotional and erratic behavior from the Democrats about the Supreme Court over the last four years, and especially over the last two years, starting with the calumnies against Brett Kavanaugh, is that they believe that the judiciary belongs to them. And they have long believed, going back to the Warren Court, that the judiciary, and especially the Supreme Court, is what allows them to achieve their goals through litigation, which they cannot achieve through legislation, which is to say achieving their left-wing policies that don't have popular support among our people. And they're now afraid that without a left-wing Supreme Court to bless their radical agenda, they're actually going to have to take that agenda to the American people, and that will not be very effective for them. It, it never has been. I, I have to ask you, Senator, because I know I have a, I, I struggle with this, of, of, of just trying to come to, a, to, to understanding how they can say some of this stuff with a straight face. I mean, for instance, uh, accusing the Republicans of rushing this thing through, um, doing this when they should be addressing the issue of the needs that the American people have from the coronavirus. They talk about the people who are unemployed, the people that uh, have needs as a result of the downturn in the economy. And I don't know how they say that with a straight face when they've been blocking the latest relief effort. <laughs> it's amazing what the Democrats want to say with a straight face, Tony. I mean, the Senate uh, took up and had majority support for a bill that was very generous. I mean, it's more money than Republicans would have thought we might have to spend a year ago before this pandemic knocked our economy flat on its back. Um, it would have protected our businesses that are still struggling in industries like restaurants and sporting venues and other kinds of things that have lots of high contact, close personal interactions. It would provide extra money for Americans who are out of work, especially in those industries. It would have helped schools reopen or stay open, as the case may be. It would provide more money for testing and more preparation to mass produce a vaccine once it's proven effective. But the Democrats filibuster that, and they refuse to negotiate, even on things we have in common, things where we agree, because they want all of their long wish list to be included, most notably a no-strings-attached trillion-dollar bailout for fiscally irresponsible cities and states like Chicago and Illinois and Rhode Island. And then, now, look, I, I have no problem providing some assistance to cities and states of all kinds who need the help because of the coronavirus, because their hospitals may be running a deficit, or maybe they got too much overtime for their EMTs and other health professionals. But we shouldn't be paying off, you know, decades-long problems of states that have been mismanaged because the Democrats want to use this crisis as an opportunity. Where do you think this goes from here? I mean, it looks quite evident that even the Democrats acknowledge that this confirmation is going to make its way through. And so they're just trying to exact a pound of political flesh from the Republicans in the process. That's my take. Yeah, so, Tony, uh, we'll have another round of questioning tomorrow. 
There'll be an outside uh, panel of witnesses, uh, not Judge Barrett, on Thursday. Uh, the uh, Judiciary Committee will then, on Thursday, uh, have a brief business meeting and sets up a vote in the committee next Thursday, October 22nd. Uh, it's my hope, uh, increasingly my expectation, that we'll move immediately uh, to the Senate floor with her confirmation vote. And if it takes us working through the weekends, which senators don't like to do, then that's what we'll do. But uh, we're going to confirm Judge Barrett before the election. One, one final question for you, uh, Senator Tom Cotton, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, you know, over the weekend, Biden saying that the American people didn't really deserve to know his position on packing the court. I mean, to me, that uh, that's an answer in and of itself. Um, why why should the American people be concerned about that? Well, it gives a sense of the arrogance and entitlement of the left. They don't think the American people even deserve to know their views on critical public questions before the election. Uh, there's probably no question more critical than packing the court, though. It's not some obscure procedural question. If they pack the court, they can take away your guns. They can impose abortion on demand for taxpayer funds. They can improve the way you practice religion. And there's nothing the judiciary can do about it to protect you and to protect your family. Yeah, and, and again, that's how they accomplish their agenda, through the court. And the quickest way to accomplish that for them is to pack it. Senator Tom Cotton, thanks so much for joining us today. As always, uh, great to talk with you. Thank you very much, Tom. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. When we come back, just uh, 10 days into it, the Great Barrington Declaration now has... Um, over 35, about 35,000 medical professionals and scientists have signed it, and, and nearly a half million people. What's it all about? We talk about it with one of the authors next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. 
What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. All right, as I mentioned uh, earlier, on October the 8th, the Great Barrington Declaration was released by a handful of medical experts, stating in part, as infectious disease epidemiologist and public health scientist, we have great concerns about the damaging phys- physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection, end quote. In just uh, eight days, almost 35,000 medical experts and scientists and nearly a half million people have signed the declaration. Joining me now is one of the primary authors of the declaration, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He is a professor of medicine at Stanford University. Uh, Doctor, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. A couple of questions for you. One, I just want to ask the motivation for this declaration. The main motivation is that the policy that we've adopted is uh, basically of locking down uh, the whole basically large populations uh, doesn't fit with what the science is telling us. And, uh, and, and in fact, is leading to substantial collateral harm, including excess deaths that are, are, are mind-boggling to consider. Um, it, it, uh, there's a set a different policy, this focus protection policy, which could get us out of the epidemic much in much better shape with many fewer deaths if we were to follow it. So you're basically saying the the, the response to, if, if I could say, the, the, the fear of the virus and how we're responding to it is actually creating more problems than the virus itself. Yeah, and I can give you some concrete examples. Um, so the lockdowns, one of the main consequences they have, uh, it's not just in the United States, but worldwide, is, is, to, is to suppress economic growth. A lot of people look at that and say, look, it's just money. But in fact, it's lives. Uh, the U.N. estimated that there will be an additional 130 million people who will starve under the current lockdown policy as a consequence of it. Um, uh, more, in, in, uh, uh, there, there are like uh, one and a half million additional tuberculosis deaths worldwide. Uh, vaccination programs will have stopped. These, these dollars are not simply dollars. These are, these are lives, people's lives. And uh, on a scale, it's just almost unimaginable. Uh, more locally, within the United States, the lockdowns have had severe health and psychological effects. So, for instance, one in four adults, uh, young adults in June seriously considered suicide. Just this past June, um, that was a consequence of the lockdowns. In, in uh, uh, 
people have, have skipped their cancer treatments because they're more afraid of COVID than cancer. Uh, people have skipped their diabetes, diabetes uh, blood sugar monitoring checks. Uh, we have uh, on, a, on a massive scale uh, a cessation of sort of normal medical activities simply because we want to address COVID. It makes no public health sense. You can't ignore all these other health conditions to the exclusion of only one one condition. You have to address public health. You have to address all of these things at the same time. And they're fundamental trade-offs. And the lockdown basically doesn't doesn't do that. Well, Dr. Bardicieri, uh, have we ever responded to a pandemic or epidemic like this in such a manner? No, this is this is unique. And in fact, it violates the, the, plant, the pandemic plan that, that had been in place uh, worldwide of, of how to address an epidemic like this one. Um, the, the, the wide-scale lockdowns are, I mean, if you will, it's like a nuclear bomb of, of public health. Uh, the, the, it was used, uh, it, was not, it was not to be used, I don't think, in this kind of situation. Uh, so what happened is that I think in March, uh, we panicked. Uh, well, not just America, but the, but the world panicked uh, and, and threw out the old plan, which involves something very close to what we're suggesting in the Great Barrington Declaration, uh, which is this focus protection idea. Uh, and, and in place of this, this lockdown, which had just such catastrophic effects. Well, let's talk about the focused protection plan. What, what does that entail? Well, the main idea there is that there's a very, very large difference in the mortality risk that people face from COVID if you're older versus younger. If you're younger, uh, you know, children, for instance, face a very, very low risk of mortality from COVID, somewhere on the order of you know, one, one in 10,000, maybe one in, even lower, potentially. Um, and whereas if you're older, if you're, in fact, if you're older, or say over 70, the risk is much higher, say four in 100 or five in 100. Uh, from, from dying. I mean, that is 95 or 96 people out of 100 still survive if you're over 70 from COVID infection. These are data from, from uh, now 80-plus studies that, that, that look at antibody levels in the population and measure death rates. Uh, so what that means is that the really vulnerable people are older people, say over 70, and there's some people who have some, some comorbid conditions like, uh, you know, uh, uh, diabetes. And in the idea of focus protection is let's take the trillions we've spent uh, in, in, in ways that are not always helpful on COVID and instead spend it on protecting the vulnerable. Uh, use testing to, to lock down nursing homes so that we don't, I mean, right now half the deaths, I think, on, on that order are, are in nursing homes in the United States. And that's true for many, many other countries as well. Use the resources to protect the nursing homes so yet nursing home residents are never exposed to COVID. Uh, use ideas like protect uh you know uh if you if you live in a home with uh, younger people and that's some, some and you're older and you get uh, the, the younger person gets covid or exposed to covid provide uh, places to live for a short period of time until the until the risk debates um mm-hmm. if you're and we basically what we've done is we've taken um like if you're an essential worker like say you're 63 and you're a clerk well you're a high risk group because you're over 60 and yet we uh, we've exposed you to covid because you're an essential worker it's really it's an unequal Kind of a, we said to the poor, you go out and work, and the rich they can stay home and and uh, and, and, and like benefit from it, uh, from the work that other people are doing, exposing themselves to COVID. I think it should be flipped backwards. What we should do is we should focus our attention on the people who are actually vulnerable, protect them, 
uh, whether they were essential or not. So there's workplace uh, disability laws that allow uh, reasonable accommodations to allow you know, people to, to take time off from work if need be, they're vulnerable. And then and, and um, that that makes perfect sense uh, to to take that approach. And then I think the those that are in the healthy categories, like you know, like my, myself, I actually had the coronavirus, but I become a part of the community defense once I have it and have the antibodies, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, the other side is the other side is let everyone else who's not vulnerable free. You're had it. You're you're it. You right. should be free. Um, right. That is really important to address the, the collateral damage from these lockdowns. Yeah. Dr. Bhattacharya, I, uh, I want to thank you for, for joining us. We're out of time, but fascinating, and, and I'm grateful for the declaration. And I appreciate you all oh, putting it out you. there, and, and we'll continue to track it. Folks, don't go away. We're coming back on the other side of the break with more Washington Watch. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. You know, the media has pretty much moved on, and the rioters uh, appear to be glad uh, because they attacked anyone who recorded their day of rage in Portland on Sunday. Now, organizers use social media platforms to promote the event they called Indigenous People's Day of Rage. I guess they ran out of other days of rage. Well, the rioters toppled statues of former presidents Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, before smashing windows of businesses along about a seven-block path. 
Well, joining me now is one of the business owners. He's an African-American. He's a military veteran of both the Army and the Marine Corps. Uh, he owns American Heroes Cafe in Portland, Oregon. John Jackson, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your service in Semper Fi. Semper Fi, do or die. All right, just tell our listeners what took place Sunday in Portland. Uh, well, you know, it, it was kind of a sad scene. Um, I, I'm not sure, you know, what groups are uh, – there's speculation of, you know, who was there and who was doing what, but it was really um, just sad from, you know, a uh, American citizen's perspective. Uh, a group of agitators decided to join in with some protesters and just um, – uh, just destroy private property and damage uh, public property along the way. And uh, uh, one of the targeted, and I, I literally mean targeted, uh, businesses was my uh, Heroes American Cafe. Now, as I understand from the press reports, that's because, one, you've been supportive of law enforcement. Is that right? Yeah, we Heroes American Cafe was really... Uh, as you mentioned, I was a military guy, and, of course, I love my country. And, and I've done a lot of things. And once I left corporate America, I wanted to do something a little special. So kind of like on the same tune of Firehouse Subs, you know, I wanted to create a place, an eating place, where you could get good food and kind of be reminded of um, our everyday heroes, our vets, our policemen, our first responders, our nurses, our educators. And so we just kind of... Um, that's kind of our culture and our decor. It's Americano and, and supporting of the groups I just said. And police happen to be one of those uh, groups that we support and that, that we're proud of. You know, the good police. If you're a bad cop, you're a zero. If you're a good cop, you're a hero. And so that is why your establishment was targeted on Sunday? I believe so. Their, their chatter began last week um, on social media about how we're, you know, this this blue business, and uh, we give literally. They said we give our profits to uh, to support the police, and we're, you know, they they made it seem like these uh, very ra- this radical place where, you know, um, everything that we do is all about law enforcement, where it's uh, it's really not about that at all. It's about heroes. It could be anyone. You know, we, it could be a, a teacher, a preacher, anyone, anyone that's supporting the community and doing good things. We think that they're, they're a hero and should be recognized um, if possible. Now, John, you, um, if, if I understand the story correctly, you, you came to Portland about 10 years ago to start your business. You're an African-American business owner, veteran. I mean, I would have to think that this is this is kind of troubling when you see what's happening on the streets of America to, to people who are serving their community by creating businesses and, and giving people jobs and, and making communities better. It is troubling. And, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of vets and friends that have served. And the reason why we served is that people, anyone, can have a position and protest peacefully if uh, if they disagree with other positions. However, uh, in Portland and across our country, uh, peaceful protest doesn't seem to be getting the lift that uh, the the uh, special interest groups are wanting. So they're going to other tactics. So, for instance, uh, uh, 
um, may Antifa, for instance, um, kind of piggybacking with Black Lives Matter, uh, trying to stir up trouble. And you know, and then I think it's it's just uh, problematic that they don't even do their research because I'm a black-owned business and and a vet and probably stand for a lot of the things that they might stand for, you know, if they were doing things the right way. Well, John, I, I want to thank you for uh, for coming on, telling your story, um, and appreciate, again, your service uh, to our, our country, but also um, being a part of, of building communities and making them a, a better place. So thanks for joining us today on Washington Watch. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Have an awesome rest of your day. All right. Thanks so much. John Jackson, owner of American's Hero Cafe in Portland, Oregon, whose business was Target. It was targeted on Sunday as they were toppling statues of, they started with the statues of the presidents, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, this is like, you know, speaking of the military, when you go into countries where they're toppling statues, it's toppling statues almost always is in conjunction with toppling governments. And that's what this is all about. In fact, we're going we're gonna to talk more about that in the next segment. A Romanian-born pastor who's now in Chicago, whose church has repeatedly been targeted by the government, has a warning for Americans. He has a warning for what this is all about. We're going to talk about it here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. More to come in just a moment. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. 
Go to frc.org slash prolifemaps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash prolifemaps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. And the website, TonyPerkins.com. Okay, uh, lots of resources available for you. This is, this is a critical time. If you're listening to this program, most likely you are an influencer. What do I mean by that? I mean that you influence others because you take the time to be informed. You want to know what's going on, and you want to know from a reliable source. That would be me. And so you are... You're sharing that information with your friends, your family. You're pointing them. You, you, you're, you're, you're ready for conversations. Most likely, you're, you're bold. You're courageous. You're willing to stand. And that's what's necessary if we're to save this republic. Now, I'm not given to hyperbole or exaggeration, and I know those of you who have listened for a long time know that I'm very measured in these things. I don't get excited. But I will tell you that this is a critical election. And when you examine the policies of the two major parties here, the contrast could not be sharper. So I've got a number of resources for you to share with family and friends to equip you for those conversations because we need to vote and to vote biblical values. And so one of the resources we have, we have a, 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 a short video, it's about two and a half minutes, three minutes, that does a comparison, just the highlights between the two party platforms. We also have a document that compares it. We have a, a list of the accomplishments of the Trump administration, all that they've done. But when you look at the accomplishments of this administration, it's quite impressive. That's available for you. All of these things can be found at prayvotestand.org, prayvotestand.org. And again, I'm going to challenge you to take the challenge to be an influencer, to be a leader, and to pray, vote, and stand. Text the word VOTE, V-O-T-E, to 53445. That's 53445. All right, I'm going to get to Pastor... Christian, I ask you in just a moment, powerful, powerful message. Uh, but I, I, I want to show you something. I, I was listening to the confirmation hearing today 
I obviously can't be in the room anymore. I've been there before for these confirmation hearings, but it's actually better to watch on TV because uh, you can drink a soda or you know eat something. Uh, and you can laugh. And you can throw things. Well, one of the things I saw today, this you can tell the talking points. As I've got, a, I just kind of put together a montage of several of Democratic uh, members from yesterday and today, um, and, and you might you might see a pattern emerging here. Bobby, play that clip. Uh, play the uh, the rush clip. It is a sham. It is a rush to put in a justice. There is a lot of hard to explain hypocrisy and rush taking place right now. We cannot separate this hearing from the moment we are in and from the judge he is trying to rush through. Secretive influences behind this unseemly rush. They know this unseemly rush is inappropriate. This committee is determined to rush a Supreme Court confirmation hearing through into 16 days. It's coming in from around the country. Why would we rush forward? Although certainly with the, the rush to confirm um, uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Did, did you notice that they may have some talking points there about rushing through this nominee? Just watch it. You, you see they're, they're, they're using these, uh, these talking points. No doubt they have been uh, tested by focus groups. Uh, but, but, but anyway, just wanted, wanted you to see that. All right. Uh, as we were just talking about with this business owner in Portland, about the businesses that are being destroyed, these, these statues that are being toppled, on Sunday night we had Freedom Sunday. And by the way, you can still watch it at TonyPerkins.com or Freedom Sunday 2020. We had Romanian-born pastor Christian Ionescu. He pastors Elohim Romanian Pentecostal Church in Chicago. And he joined us live to share his story, and it was so powerful. I want you to hear it. Play our 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 inner our interview with uh, Pastor Ionescu. Please welcome Pastor Ionescu. <laughs> Pastor, welcome. Thank you very much. Pastor, please share with us your story of what has unfolded in with your church in Chicago. Well, uh, we've uh, closed down the church right at the beginning. Uh, before the governor uh, had issued his uh, stay-at-home order because we didn't know what it was. We wanted more information. We cannot operate online alone. We need physical gatherings. And this is the only way uh, the church can function properly. Uh, So we've been threatened. Uh, They took action. Uh, They went on to restrict parking uh, on the streets, uh, a few blocks around the church. Uh, those of you who knows who know how Chicago is uh, and how hard it is to find a parking space in the city uh, would understand that seven o'clock on Sunday, uh, in a rainy day and uh, quite chilly, people had to remove their uh, their cars, and they tried to incite hate against the church. They've told the neighbors it's because the church doesn't obey the stay-at-home order. And uh, it backfired because the neighbors uh, showed us support. A lot of them would bring us um, offerings and contributions. And uh, by the evening on that Saturday, they wised up. They understood that we don't use the uh, space, uh, the parking on the streets. 
uh, we have a contract with a private parking lot. And um, at five o'clock, we have a service at six o'clock in the evening. They blocked the entrance of the private uh, parking lot. They wouldn't let us park there. It was illegal because there was no crime in the course of being committed in that space. Uh, but our people are resourceful. Uh, they came to church. They found a way uh, around the system. And uh, then they hit us with some citations for disorderly conduct uh, after leading the most orderly services uh, in the country at that time. And uh, then they threatened us with the summary abatement, which is in its extreme form, a threat to uh, demolish the church. We have a case pending at the Supreme Court. We've contested the citations, and uh, uh, we're waiting to see uh, what's going to happen. Pastor, let me ask you this question. Having fled Romania and the, the, the communist country, are you seeing things that frighten you about what is happening in the United States of America? Oh, absolutely. And I think this society has no immunity. Uh, to the Marxist agenda, uh, even though it happened in the recent history and all over the world, it seems like uh, this, these uh, uh, two generations, last two generations are in a state of confusion. Uh, if I may give a few um, uh, points on how a communist regime would take power, what happened in Romania and what happened in many other places, and it's happening right now here. Uh, they identify and recruit persons or social groups that are disadvantaged or can be persuaded to think that they are. Uh, then they identify the social groups or persons that can be blamed and vilified for others' misfortunes. Uh, they take advantage of any social crisis like a recession or tragic events like police killing to use and to fit their narrative and also justify any kind of violence, destruction of property, sabotage. Uh, they infiltrate the education system. They've done that for a few decades now. Media, cultural, religious institutions. They use the same freedom, speech, assembly, civil disobedience, bearing arms. They are prepared to take away from people in the future, but they use them now in order to advance their ideology. They classify and divide citizens and antagonize them, young versus old, poor versus rich, black versus white, especially in America. Religious denomination versus religious denomination, commoners versus intellectuals, and the list can go on and on. Uh, they will seize a major opportunity in the future, in the near future, to take over the government and make wild promises that would appeal to most people, even though they are impossible to fulfill and to deliver. They will use covert action to gr gradually either assimilate or eliminate any and all opposition. Uh, they would gradually take away people's freedoms. Owning arms would be first speech, a close second, private property, freedom of moving around, of travel. Uh, two, major, uh, two major reforms that happen in Romania and everywhere else would be financial, uh, rendering current money useless and consequently making everybody poor all at once, uh, and social, recruiting and rewarding people for spying on each other, creating a secret police system with unlimited power and resources. We see Antifa and other organizations uh, to do that. And in the end, after they get a grip on all levels of governance and societal structures, it's time for the great purging. 
even in their ranks, people they used to do their bidding are not exempt. It is called the purification of the system by eliminating people that cannot be trusted 100%. Well, Pastor Ionescu, one final question for you as we, we part. And I want to thank you for joining us tonight. What should the church, what should followers of Jesus Christ be doing in America today, understanding what is unfolding? Stand up and stop committing treason against the kingdom to which you belong, which is the kingdom of God. Don't fit the narrative of the system. First of all, they are, I resent the fact that they are trying to make us believe that they care more than we do about our own people. No, we care about our people. We have parents, we have children, we have brothers, sisters, elderly, sick, vulnerable in our midst. We care about them. Stop. I tell the government, stop uh, making us believe that you care more than we do. Then stop being hypocritical. When you have protests that are peaceful, you try to shut them down and criticize them. When we have vandalism and uh, violence, you say they're peaceful protest. Stop the hypocrisy. And then stop lecturing us in, theolo uh, in theological terms. Stop quoting the scriptures. You have nothing to do with the scriptures. You are godless. You do not care about the Bible. You don't care about the church. Stop lecturing us in theology. Pastor Ian Eskew, thank you for joining us tonight. God bless you, and thank you for standing. Again, that was from Sunday night's Freedom Sunday, and you can watch the entire event. It was, it was, it was quite impactful. It was powerful, uh, riveting. I mean, it was the the whole thing was about two hours, and you you, you just you couldn't get enough. It was fast paced, but this in particular, uh, the, it was various sections, and one was to explain why the churches are being shut down. Because we you know we just actually heard about the the uh, Great Barrington Declaration. We talked about that Sunday night with another ER doctor who was there who signed the declaration. He wasn't one of the authors, but he had signed it, and he's actually been sounding the alarm about these overreaching policies. Uh, here in California and elsewhere. It, we looked at that. We looked at the historical aspect, which, um, you know, Dr. Jay, who was on here just a few moments ago, spoke to as well. We've never done this before. It's against all the protocols. We looked at the, the biblical standpoint. What does the Scripture have to say? Should churches be shut down for seven months? And it was quite clear. We had Dr. Al Mohler, uh, Wayne Grudem, Dr. Wayne Grudem, and, and uh, Dr. John MacArthur on. Scripture is very clear. In fact, historically, never, never have the churches been shut down like this. Even, you know, they, they point back to the, the Spanish flu back in uh, uh, 1918. In some big cities, churches were shut down, but for about a month. That was it. And then we looked at the, the Constitutional Foundation, clearly. And we had one of the attorneys with Alliance Defending Freedom, Ryan Tucker, was there. Clear. We have a constitutional protection to meet. So, if there's if there's uh, no theo if there's no biblical basis, there's no uh, constitutional basis, there's no scientific basis. Why are they being shut down? 
Well, when you look at the what's happening in the streets of America and you look at the leftist agenda, the Marxist agenda, the church is in the way. And that was the message from actually a, a few people who have come out of communist countries. These things are not happening in a vacuum. And, and folks, this isn't going to stop after the election. Uh, we have to continue to stand for truth. But we need to realize what is at stake. So I'm going to encourage you. Pray, vote, and stand. And by the way, you would be uh, you'd be better informed if you went and you watched Freedom Sunday. A lot of really, really good information. And then share it with family and friends. Also, uh, share Washington Watch. Let your friends know about Washington Watch so they can listen to it. And if they can't listen on a radio station, they can download the Stand Firm app and listen wherever in the world they might be. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. The website, again, TonyPerkins.com. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, which are found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, no matter what happens, no matter what, just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 